So I asked, he's a pastor, a chaplain, and a doctor, Dr. Mickey Stonier. I asked him to come and to share with you today, uh, before we jump into the next things, uh, for us to hear here today to open scripture together with him. He's an awesome uh, brother in Christ, and then he's been a faithful minister to the city of San Diego and to churches here in San Diego for a couple of decades. And so would you welcome my friend Mickey Stonier. Oh, you're hilarious. Um, gosh, what a, what a blessing uh, to be here. Uh, you, you know, I, uh, well, more than a couple decades. Um, it was through a death of a firefighter in the county that I was contacted as a local pastor to go help the family. And the chief at the time in San Diego, after the memorial, I, I did the memorial service for the fire department. He said, would you consider being our chaplain? I was like, what is that? You know, what do you want me to do? And he says, be here for times like this and helping the community. We deal with a lot of trauma in the community. And uh, I said, well, well, sure. So I started riding along and I had to learn the culture. Uh, I, there's so many terms and things I, I didn't know. Uh, my first ride-along was down at, at One's uh, station, and I, I was like, why do you call it One's Station One? And they said, well, that's just how you say it. You have to learn that if you're part of this culture, it's One's, Two's, Three's downtown, and, and, and that's where the bomb squad is. And the guy that was giving me the tour was a captain, and on his shirt said, Mast, Metro Arson Strike Team. Um, and I thought, okay, they're the bomb squad, and they got all these things, they robots and everything. And so as he turned around and was walking away, it said mast. And then underneath it, it said, I'm a bomb technician. If you see me running, try to keep up. <laughs> I thought, well, I got a lot to learn. Okay, I'll try to keep up with that. So, so my first trauma response I responded to during a crisis was, was at the Ford Theater when President Lincoln was shot. Um, that, was, that one didn't go well. Uh, but so I, I've seen a lot in the community. Been, uh, been, it's an honor to, to help people. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but about 30% to 40, uh, 30 to 50% of people's Christian testimony. Book of Habakkuk. Uh, it's a little tiny prophetic book or Habakkuk or Habakkuk I was on a tour I see you're going to go to Israel next year I believe personally a tour to Israel should be part of every Christian's discipleship plan you all need to be there because it opens up your understanding of scripture to see everything and to be where everything is it just comes alive for you um but our tour guide, I said, so do you pronounce it Habakkuk or Habakkuk? And our great Hebrew scholar said, I don't know. I pronounce it either way. So uh, whatever. Um, so Habakkuk, it's a, it's a little small book that's written um, contemporary with, with uh, uh have here in my Bible, I wrote my notes. So with Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zephaniah, all different parts of their prophecies in the same historic season around 600 BC, uh, 609 or 598 to 609 BC. And it's Israel had failed, Judah had failed to really obey God. And as a result, uh, the, the nation was crumbling financially. Uh, leaders were immoral. Uh, lust was pervasive. Uh, crime and injustice, uh, probably not real relevant to the days we're living in. Uh, but if you can imagine for yourselves that violence was on the street, homelessness was pervasive, the economy was crashing, wars were taking place all around uh, the, the nation. And, and here's Habakkuk. He's crying out to God, and God speaks to him 
and gives him a message. And so that's our heart today, just to grasp this message to Habakkuk, the journey he went through, and then what it means for us today. So would you pray with me? In fact, let's go ahead and stand one more time. Um, in worship, I, I didn't know you invited Lauren Daigle here to lead in worship, uh, but your worship is just beautiful. If you don't know Lauren Daigle, maybe you know uh, Adele, uh, either one. They, she's got an amazing gift to, to lead you, but let, let's pray together. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for this beautiful community of faith. You've brought us here not to just go to church. You've called us to be a community as we were led in prayer earlier, to be a light to the world, to be a demonstration of love, to be a fragrance to all that we live by, all who we work with and who we hang out with. And so I, I pray for this simple but profound message you gave to Habakkuk, that you would speak to us, that your word would be enlightened in our heart to transform us, to be those witnesses you would have us be in Jesus' name. Amen. Give someone a hug before you sit down. Come on. All right. If you haven't found Habakkuk, it's to the right of Nahum and to the left of Zephaniah. Uh, three chapters there that are, are given. And, um, you know, in the fire department, we have what's called the four F's. It's part of our culture. Um, faith, family, friends, and fire department. The understanding is if you're, you have a strong faith, your family is close, uh, your friendships are strong, the fire department will have good, healthy employees to serve the community. Well, this morning, I'm going to give you the three Fs. Chapter 1, first F. Chapter 2, the second F. Chapter 3 concludes with the third F. The first F, F is frustration. So, frustration. Look with me. Chapter 1. The burden. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Um, but burden can be translated the prophecy or the the word or oracle. Um, the, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And here's his, his burden. He's crying out. He starts to question God. He says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you. And literally in the Hebrew, that second cry out, is, uh, connects with scream. There's just deep emotion. So you have the prophet saying, how long? How long is this going to go on? And how long can I cry out to you? And you're, it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. You're not listening to us. Even scream to you. Violence. It's wrong what's happening in our world, he says. And you will not save. And he says, the first of three whys, in the book of Habakkuk, there's three whys and five woes. He says, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. Their strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. You see, through the liberalization of law, injustice starts to dominate. There's a, uh, one of our Supreme Court judges years ago wrote a, a book entitled uh, Judge Bork. He wrote, When Nations Die. When Nations Die. When law is no longer given, that, that has consequences, the, the corruption that happens, the liberalization of law, and, 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 and the morality that starts to fail. Well, here's this prophet. He's seeing the injustice. He's crying out. There's violence. Uh, when are you going to do something? I, there was a house fire in Kearney Mesa on a Saturday. 
beautiful Saturday morning in San Diego. Back then I had a pager. My pager went off, house fire. And I can go and support the crews and things. But then it reported a second page, two fatalities, females. I went, oh my gosh. So I put on my uniform and I, I head on over. The fire was out and the police are putting up the caution tape, the perimeters being set. And I walk up to the battalion chief and he's there, incident command. I say, chief, uh, are there any family members you want me to support? He goes, thank you so much for being here. He pointed to this dear woman, just frantic as you can imagine. And on the front lawn was a tarp. And he says, under that tarp, we recovered two females. It's her mother and sister who died in the fire. And so I go over to this woman, you can imagine, and just, what do you say? What do you do in times like this? And I went up to her and I said, ma'am, I am so sorry. Uh, my name is, is Mickey. I'm with the fire department. I'm their chaplain. As soon as they said chaplain, she had a connection. A chaplain is like a pastor out in the community. She grabbed me, both shoulders, squeezed tightly and said, why would God allow this to happen to me? What do you do in a moment like that? My training kicked in. I grabbed her by the collar. I said, ma'am, calm down. Don't question God. No, that would be domestic violence. I didn't do that. Um, you can imagine. Uh, you know, she's questioning why, why. I, I just put my arm on her shoulder and I just said, I don't know why, but God sent me here to serve you. Do you have any family members we can get a hold of? And I got meals delivered. This is where you're coming into the picture. We got meals delivered. We provided transportation, helping with phone calls and different things that we can do. I just came in as a servant with no agenda except to love her and to be a representation of Jesus Christ during that moment. Now, you're going to have many opportunities in this community to come alongside people in crisis. I love the generosity, testimony of all that you're doing around the world. A lot of churches have the mindset where it's kind of the people are consumers and we got to have a good product. And so you come and if things are good, uh, you'll keep coming back. And then we kind of tip on in the offering. So, okay, it was a pretty good show. And people live a segmented life. Okay, I, I have my family here. I got my work and I got my friends here. Weekends, I get to have my time. I'm over here. What I do in recreation and Sundays, I got my church. And we, we kind of have life segmented, but that's not what the Christian faith is. The Bible testifies that God's to be the center of our heart. Wherever we are, we are his church whether at work, at home, out in the community, serving your neighbors, you are the church, and the church is sent out to represent the Lord and to be present for people in times of needs, to be a witness of, of God's love in the community. Um, you've got it as a church. If you're, you're doing so much out in the community, but let's take that step further to guard our hearts because how you live at home and in your neighborhood is the testimony where the gospel is supposed to be reverberating out to the community. There are so many opportunities. Um, I, you know, and all of you can be a chaplain in your neighborhood or where you work. For example, if someone is sick at work, you hear they're in the hospital, you organize meals for the family, not because you're told to, but you do it out of love. You, you organize, get a card together, have people sign it. You become a chaplain in your workplace, in your neighborhood. I organized after the pandemic was just opening up. I think it was June of 2021, and neighbors were feeling more comfortable. Everyone had been on lockdown and all of that. I hired a it's called Dang Brother Pizza. It's a fire truck that's retired, and they made it into a pizza oven. And they make pizza. It's really good pizza, salad. We went around our whole neighborhood, 
passed out flyers. We paid for it as a family, invited all of our neighbors uh, to come on out and have lunch together on a Saturday. We literally had 75 to 100 people, some still wearing masks, some not wearing masks, and everyone was respectful. And we had lunch, and neighbors four doors down from each other had lived in that neighborhood for dozens of years and had never met each other, had never talked to each other. The whole neighborhood comes out. They're meeting each other, and my family, we just loved on them. And we announced to them that we're the neighborhood chaplains. We just proclaimed it. That's what I am, the neighborhood chaplain. Zip code 92117. Um, uh, Do you know where La Jolla is? Yeah, I don't live there. Uh, (laughs) But in Claremont, uh, I'm the neighborhood chaplain. My wife, there's an app called Neighbor App or Next Door App. And you post things. My wife said, she posted, I walk the neighborhoods and pray for all the homes and businesses. And if you ever have prayer needs, let me know. People started sending her prayer requests and wanted to meet with her to pray together at Starbucks or someplace. Be the chaplain in your community. The doors are wide open if you just love people. Just love people. Uh, Don't have to be weird. You don't have to be overly religious. When you love, the doors start opening up. I had a firefighter who was so against God, anti-God, and I'd do ride-alongs, and he'd make comments to me and always make fun of me and all of that, and I just thought, ooh, he got issues, you know? But I just loved him. I would bring uh, tri-tip to the fire station, having lunch and everything, Cardiff Crack, if you know what Cardiff Crack is, but... um, and served lunch and just loved on him. It was like several years down the line. I get a call from this guy, Nick. And he was an old Vietnam vet, you know, veteran, just a, kind of the man's man, gruff and, you know, verbally very uh, loud. He said, hey, chaplain, I need to talk to you. I said, sure. When do you want to meet? Today, he said. Well, I said, I'm actually at my church office. If you want to, I'll be there. What time? I said, two o'clock. He comes in, had no idea. I just know he was not really open to the things of God. Comes to the door. He comes in. We sit down in my office. I shut the door. I go, Nick, what's up? He just starts to bury his head in his hands and starts to cry. He goes, I've wrecked my life. My kids hate me. My wife's divorcing me. What do I need to do to find God? Now, it's pretty cool when the fish come jumping in the boat. Fishing's good here, you know. Um, I led him into the gospel, explained the gospel. Um, His wife did leave. You know, it's very painful. Um, But he came to faith, started attending the church. And then he told me the story. He was riding along. He was uh, an engineer at another station, uh, one of the guys he's worked with for years, and he starts witnessing to this other firefighter. Says, I came to faith in Jesus. You all need to know my life's changing. And Jesus is the, the answer. You need Jesus. And one of the firefighters said to him, I'm a Christian. He looked him in the eyes, pointed at him, said, how dare you? I've worked with you for 15, 20 years. You never told me about Jesus. I could have died and gone to hell. Worked right next to him. I was like, wow. You know, this, this, the world desperately needs what we all have and who you are. And it's, again, let the light shine through your life. Well, here's here's the prophet. He's frustrated. And so the Lord answers his why question. Look what he says. Look among the nations and watch. for uh, Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. 
For indeed, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation which uh, marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are a terrible and uh, they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Okay, here's what God says. Here's the prophet. Lord, why? Where's your justice? And God says, oh, Habakkuk, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it, what I'm going to do. I am going to bring justice. I'm bringing judgment on Judah. The Chaldeans will be my instrument of judgment. If I told you what I was going to do, you would not believe it. For Samuel, when God spoke to young child Samuel about judgment, he says, the ears of everyone will tingle from what I'm going to do. Justice will come, but not in the way you would think of it. Now, if you fast forward, if I told you, God says, what I'm going to do, you wouldn't believe it. You see, the Chaldeans came and brought judgment, took them captivity. One of them was Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Azariah, Mishael, the the three friends of uh, Daniel, they go uh, to I, you know, to um, Babylon, and they become the wise leaders, princes in Babylon, and they be, deliver the scriptures. And eventually, through a succession of kings, uh, the people are returning back to their land to build the temple under Cyrus and then Dar- Darius. But if you follow the lineage, where did the Magi come from that had the scriptures they were waiting for? Was that same region of of the world, hundreds of years later, God brings the Magi back to that region to proclaim the Messiah. You see, if, if you knew what you sang the song about, you know, all things working together. If you knew what I'm going to do, God says, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. And so he again in chapter 1 says, why? But why, Lord? And he he asks the question, uh, verse 13, why do you look on those who uh, that deal treacherously and hold your tongue? The, the, the wickedness is going on. Why aren't you doing anything? And then again in verse 18, or I'm sorry. Oh, my page turned. Verse 14, why do you make men like fish of the sea? You know, you have ungodly rulers. Where's the leadership? Where's the the the, you know, the justice in our land? When are you going to do this? Well, let's move to chapter 2. And God again answers him. So God says, I'm going to send this bitter and hasty nation to bring judgment. Okay, let me put it this way. Let's just imagine America as a, a nation founded on a lot of Christian principles, laws, that America drifted from the the values, the virtues, the laws, the morals that were founding and the blessings and favor that came upon this nation. Just imagine for a moment that we had drifted as a nation where there was ungodliness and injustice and things were getting perverse against the ways of God. And then God says to us, this would be kind of the same thing. I'm going to use China, an atheistic nation, to bring judgment on this nation. You would be going, wait a second, that makes no sense. You're using an atheistic nation to judge us? Or let's say Russia, or back in the day, ISIS, that were so full of hatred, murder, and vice, wickedness, and idolatry to come and bring judgment. You could see where Habakkuk was like, this doesn't make sense. Well, in chapter 2, 
He says in verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Now, there's two ways to read this. It's like he is stating, after he hears what God, I'm going to stand here until you do something, God. He's kind of standing and I'm going to, I'm going to wait to see what you're going to do till you answer me. Or there's a humble approach. Lord, I'm just going to stay faithful here until you show me what you're doing. You, you can't take the tone. We're not sure if the tone, if it's defiant or humble. But then God speaks to him. Your second F, from frustration to faith. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. And make it plain on tablets that he who may run, who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. And at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Speaking of the Chaldeans, he says, behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him. But what does he say? But the just shall live by faith. And then he reveals the woes, the idolatry, the lust, the injustice, the violence that's taking place in the land of why justice is coming. But the just, the faithful, will live by faith. You know, my, uh, I grew up in a law enforcement family. My dad was a police officer, went through the ranks, um, became the chief, grew up in Hermosa Beach. And then my oldest brother became a lifeguard. He's the first lifeguard paramedic they had. He started a, a program called, in fact, my brother, you've probably heard of him. Um, his name is David Hasselhoff. Have you heard? He started a program called Baywatch, okay, as a... As a paramedic, they had the boats and everything. Then he went to Catalina, did his career, you know, in Catalina. Um, but we, I, l- I lived on a boat sailing, a uh, sailboat growing up for uh, part of my childhood, adolescence. So it was a 50-foot schooner. Uh, but my mom got deathly sick. Uh, she had breast cancer that went into her lungs. She wasn't a smoker. And when I was 12, she passed away from cancer. And my memory of my mom was mostly her in and out of the hospital, very sick, just a wonderful woman, loved family, but life was taken from her. And, and then so my big sister, five years older than me, took on the parenting, the mother role. My dad was working. My sister was my best friend, took me everywhere, went on dates with her and her boyfriends. She would take me along, I kind of think, to keep her safe, I think, but I don't know. Uh, but then three years after my mom died of cancer, my sister was killed in a car accident. Um, and so now I'm 15 years old. And trauma either makes you bitter or better. And for me, I just grew up, I wasn't raised in the Christian faith. I, I knew there was a God, but I, I just wanted to help people with pain. I volunteered at hospitals. I volunteered here and there. And then at the age of 21, I started reading the Bible. And I got saved by reading the Gospel of Matthew and made my way into a, a Bible study. Um, and eventually that Bible study turned into a church called Calvary Chapel. Um, you heard of the Jesus, Jesus Revolution. Um, it all started with not me. Uh, God was on the move. And so all these little groups of college students started to turn into churches. And so I I was going to be a school teacher, and I was going to work with kids, and and then I got involved. We started a church. The pastor's name was Mike McIntosh, and so when the church started, I automatically started taking care of the kids, and then I became, when I got my teaching credential, I became the children and youth pastor. And so I, I worked as the youth pastor for 18 years, and then eventually got demoted uh, to work with adults. Because uh, adults only have half a life left. Uh, that's just kind of how it is. And then one thing led to another. But, you know, the hardships that come into our life, all of us have pain. All of us have struggles. All of us have wounds. And 
the sorrows and pains of a broken world. But God would say to us, the just, hold fast. You know, the name Habakkuk means to embrace or to cling to. That's what his name means. When the world is falling apart, be like Habakkuk. Cling to faith. Um, there was a, again, my pager went off. I got a call. There was two city buses that crashed and many injuries. And so I was nearby. I head down there and I'm just ambulances everywhere. People were being put onto backboards. And, and so as you arrive as a chaplain, I'm just there. What can I do? And you you serve one as if you could serve everybody. And so I just looked for the immediate need. And there was this dear woman. She was being put onto a backboard. She was injured. And her three-year-old little son, her son was there. They were Hispanic, didn't speak English. And the little boy, three years old, screaming for his mother. Mama, mama. And so I, I just, I have my fire jacket on I stoop down and she's on a backboard trying to reach out to her little boy and he's doesn't know what's going on he's literally screaming and I I just put my arm around him and he buried his face in my chest snotty nose and everything just wiping his chest or his, his face in my my chest and I just held him and she was, gracias, 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 tears flowing down her heart, just holding him. And eventually the police will have to take care of him and take you know, that leadership role of uh, making sure he's safe. But I, I just put my arm around him, and he just clung to me in his pain. That's Habakkuk. That's faith that the just shall cling, shall live, by faith. At the end of chapter 2, he's talking about all the woes of all the wickedness in the, the nation. Verse 20, he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God is on the throne. Psalm 11, verses 3 and 4. When wickedness prevails, what shall the righteous do? And the psalmist replies, God is on the throne. We had a dear family in this community who was a retired fire chief, fire battalion chief. He had a uh, something similar to ALS, just a dear man, Christian man. And I got notified that he was at the hospital. He stopped breathing. I, I, I come over to the hospital near here and the family's all there and he had passed away and the family in anguish. It was totally unexpected, unanticipated. He passed away. Their Christian faith was there. The, I'm praying for them, trying to provide support, the loss of their, their dad, her husband. And so they said, tomorrow, can you come to the house? We just need to sort through what we're going to do. So I get to the house the next day. The extended family was there. There's food on the table, and I'm, I'm there just visiting. And you can imagine just the anguish, the heart, the brokenness. Um, three children, three grown children, one's a senior in high school. And so the mom and wife says, can we go in the kitchen and talk about our plan? So they want to talk about the service and what mortuary and all these things. So we're sitting around the table and I'm asking questions. And during times like this, the memories start to pour out. There was weeping and literally wailing. And then all of a sudden it turns to laughter. They're telling these quirky stories and they're all laughing and then they're crying and going around and we're just, as a chaplain, as a just a shepherd, just trying to help sort this out for them. And then all of a sudden there's a little quiet moment and then the youngest daughter, who was daddy's girl, with all the emotion, as you can imagine, just in a moment of quiet, she blurts out with all the anguish that you could imagine and says, 
Who's going to be there when I graduate? Who's going to walk me down the, the aisle when I get married? Who's going to be there the birth of my first child? I miss my daddy. What do you say at that moment? I just bowed my head. I was praying, just quiet. Whole room is just stunned. And the mom and the wife turns to me. She goes, you're the chaplain. Say something. (laughs) Silence wasn't golden. I just prayed. And at that moment, the Lord spoke to me. I said, what would your daddy say to you right now? That's not fair, she said. I said, what would your dad say to you? She lowers her head and says, God is still on the throne. Psalm 11 was their verse. No matter how bad things look, God is on the throne. God is doing good. I look at America right now. We're becoming ripe for revival. Because the darker the world gets, the brighter the light shines. Your marriages, your relationships, how your work ethic. People see it and it's you're so different. You have joy when everyone's angry. You're talking about love and unity when everyone is taking sides. You're representing the heart of God. When the foundations are being destroyed, What shall the righteous do? The just shall live by faith. Cling to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Because God is on the throne. Well, finally, chapter 3, we go from frustration to faith to finally fruitfulness. You see in verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shigenyah. Do you know what that word means? No one knows. (laughs) It's obscure, obscure. He says, Oh Lord, I've heard your speech, and I was afraid. Oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of your years. In the midst of your years, make it known in wrath, Remember mercy. You know, people get bitter or better. I <clears throat> I actually wrote a book. Um, and in fact, I'll, I'll ask them to put the, the uh, cover of the book on the screen. If you can read, the title of the book is what? God is nowhere. God is now here. God is nowhere. God is now here. When I, and as your pastor gets out in the community, people come to those kind of two conclusions. If God is all loving and all powerful, why? There is no God. And others come to the place that they meet God and find that he's here. Um, My wife wrote a book too, a little book on, called Get Out of Control. But it's in the sense when trauma hits people, they become very controlling. And so she wrote a, a little book about getting out of being in control, letting God be in control. So I brought a bunch of books. I mean, I packed up a bunch of books to bring you all just to make available to you, to give you, uh, to give away. And I left without them. <laughs> That's because I'm so old. It's hard to remember everything. And so I had a few in my car so I, I put them on the book table. And if you want either my wife's book, I think there's two of those, or my book, there's three of those. You'll have to get there quick. Um, and my encouragement um, is that you would give something to your church. That You'd write a check. or Most people give like 500 bucks for one of my books. <laughs> Just they're so generous. It's like, wow, I got one of the three uh, make a check out to your church, okay? It's just, it's for your church. So I apologize, I would have had, if in 10 years you have me back, I'll bring my books if I don't forget. But um, <clears throat> so here's what uh, he, he, uh, he says, God, I've, I've heard. You've done wonderful things in the past. 
I know you're good. I know you're gracious. You know, there's a, write the scripture down, Isaiah 55, verses, the whole chapter, but six through nine. When sometimes life doesn't make sense, you're like, well, this doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, Isaiah 55, eight and nine says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I always would quote that verse, that those verses, because when life doesn't make sense, I know God's way beyond us. But you know the context of chapter 55? Is it about the mysteries of God's ways? Where when life doesn't make sense, we can say, Lord, your ways are way beyond us and your thoughts are way beyond us. No, God says that. And the context is the wickedness, the injustice of God's people. And when their ways are unrighteous and their thoughts are unjust, God's people. And God says, I will show them mercy. And then he says, my ways and thoughts are beyond you. The context is God's graciousness for us. God is so merciful, so kind. Um, my grandchildren, um, I'll, I'll finish up. I, I know I have another hour, but I'm going to go ahead and start to finish up. Um, I have my, my wife and I, we couldn't have kids. My wife, um, she didn't have a regular cycle, and we got married. I wanted kids. She wanted kids. She couldn't get pregnant. We saw her doctor, and they were like, wow, you're, yeah, your hormones, everything's kind of messed up, and put her on medication to try to get her to start a cycle. And we got pregnant and had a miscarriage, and then got pregnant and had a tubal, where they removed the tube on one side, got pregnant, had another miscarriage, had a tubal on the other side, but the, the, you know, the baby passed through. And so our doctor said, you're probably not going to have children. And so we were, I was a youth pastor, we might adopt. And lo and behold, 38 years ago, she got pregnant, we had a girl. And then two years after that, she got pregnant, we had twins, a boy and a girl. And then two years after that, got pregnant, we had another girl. We have four kids, four and under. That's when I became an expert in stress management. Uh, I took her back to the doctor. I said, can you make her the way she was, you know, or quivering where quiver is quivering you know well anyway the joy of parenting and having children is eventually they leave the house and then grandchildren show up oh my goodness and as you've heard you know if I knew how great grandchildren were I would have had them first you know you all know that oh that's so much fun we're just and all our kids are local so we get to babysit all the time well the two oldest we were babysitting. Her parents were going away for a weekend. And so Kennedy and Brody were at her house. And at the time, they were 15, uh, 16 and 14. Not babysitting. They were hanging out with us. So it was a rainy, kind of cool evening. And we had a little, we had an in-ground uh, jacuzzi in our backyard. I go, and, and it was Friday night. I go, do you guys want to go in the jacuzzi? They were like, yeah, Bapa. That's my name, Bapa. And yeah, we'll go. So they get on their bathing suits. We heat the jacuzzi out. We go outside, and those teachable moments, you know, I'm always looking for moments to teach family, and we always did devotions and stuff. I, I go, come here, come here. <clears throat> We're underneath an umbrella in the backyard, and I said, hold the pole. So they're holding the pole. Papa, it's cold. Can we go in the jacuzzi? Not yet. I said, you know, kind of life with God is like, right now, you're holding the pole. You're protected from the elements of the world. I said, yeah, we're, feet are getting a little wet. It's cold. It's uncomfortable. But we're under his protection. When you stay close to God, it's like holding the pole. His blessing is upon you. And then I did this. We're all under the umbrella. I walk out from under the umbrella. And I'm out in the rain. And I said, you know, so many people get away from God's ways 
And they, the elements of the world, the consequences of the world hit them and they're like this. God, why would you allow this to happen to me? What should I do? And they go, Papa, come back under. Grab the pole. And so I thought, oh, yeah, so stay close to Jesus. Life has ups and downs, but you know his favor is upon you. Let's go in the jacuzzi. So we jumped in the jacuzzi. Six months later, my granddaughter, she texts me. She says, Papa, we did shape poems in literature class. I didn't know what a shape poem was. I go, well, what was your poem? And she sent me this picture. They'll put the umbrella. Now I always cry when I'm going to read this. She said, our shelter from the raging storm above pouring down on us, but simply not even realizing how it has merely scratched the surface. Our God is like an umbrella from the storms of life, protecting us from the attacks of the devil. Holding tightly to the pole is like staying close to God. When we step out from under his protection, people blame him for getting wet, even when all they really need is to step back under. You know, life gets crazy at times. Life is frustrating. Wounds and failures happen. But God says, no, the just will cling. They'll live by faith. But then Habakkuk, he finishes after his revelation from God, verse 17. He gets it. No matter what the circumstances, he knew the certainty of God. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He says, hey, though I lose everything, though this whole world falls apart, I know you're good. I'm going to live by faith. And he moves from faith to fruitfulness, to worship. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And the two words there are, leaping for joy and twirling about, whirling. It's like David coming to the temple where the ark was being brought back and he's twirling, he's dancing, he's singing, so filled with joy. And the Lord God is my strength, the prophet writes. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high Heels. No, not high heels. High heels. Um, he worshipped. What happened when Job lost everything? He worshipped. Paul and Silas were in prison. They worshipped. When life doesn't make sense, cling to your faith and worship, knowing that God is good. God is still on the throne. And we are to be a light to a very dark world. So let's close by worshiping. Amen? I'll save the second hour for next time. You know, I read uh, Warren Wearsby in his, his commentary on Jeremiah. Have you all stand up? He's, you know, sometimes when life's kind of out of sorts, and he said this, he said, God doesn't always give us explanations. He gives us his promises. Um, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I love you with an everlasting love. His thoughts, like towards Judah, is for a future, for a hope. Because you're his bride. 
You're his, the apple of his eye. So no matter how crazy things go, don't look around. You look up and worship. That's our God. So let's worship from all of our hearts because Lauren Daigle is here. No, not high heels, high heels. Um, he worshiped. What happened when Job lost everything? He worshiped. Paul and Silas were in prison. They worshiped. When life doesn't make sense, cling to your faith and worship, knowing that God is good. God is still on the throne. And we are to be a light to a very dark world. So let's close by worshiping. Amen? I'll save the second hour for next time. You know, I read uh, Warren Wearsby in his, his commentary on Jeremiah. Have you all stand up. He's, you know, sometimes when life's kind of out of sorts, and he said this, he said, God doesn't always give us explanations. He gives us his promises. Um, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I love you with an everlasting love. His thoughts, like towards Judah, is for a future, for a hope. Because you're his bride. You're his, the apple of his eye. So no matter how crazy things go, don't look around. You look up and worship. That's our God. So let's worship from all of our hearts because Lauren Daigle is here. Oh.